Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast. Today, an update on my lawsuit over the government's illegal intrusion of my computers when I was a CBS News investigative correspondent. And I'll have enough background for those who haven't been following the case in detail over these nine years. And I'll make the case for why it matters to all of us. Every time I think about recording a podcast, giving some updates on my computer intrusion lawsuit against the government, I kind of get overwhelmed because there is so much detail. This has gone on for so long. But today I decided I would give at least a summary of some of the latest information and a little bit of background for people who haven't been following it for the past 10 years. It was January of 2013 when I first learned that forensics indicated a government intel agency had engaged in a long-term monitoring effort of my CBS computers and devices, as well as the devices belonging to my family. I wrote at some length about how I discovered this in my book, Stonewalled, but suffice it to say that at the time, when it was brought to my attention from some intel people that I didn't know very well, that I was likely being monitored by the government for the work that I was doing, As an investigative reporter at CBS News, when I was first alerted to this possibility, it sounded so far-fetched because all of the stuff that came out in the following six or eight months was not yet public. What the government had been doing to secretly subpoena records of Associated Press reporters, what the government had been doing to spy on Fox News reporter James Rosen and his family, the Edward Snowden revelations, that NSA whistleblower who dropped the dime on all of the massive spying and surveillance efforts that were underway by the government that they had been denying. That was not yet public. So when people first said to me that I was probably being monitored, I didn't even really know what that meant. And one of the people who made the suggestion said to me, have you noticed anything funny or strange with your computer and devices? And as it happens, there had been about two years of strange things with my devices at home, my computers, a long history with me having Verizon come to the house to try to fix some of these things, which they could never fix, anomalies with my computers coming on at night, turning on and off by themselves. And long story short, a source helped me get my computer to a source and a source who had experience and was able to locate government spyware in my computer. And they knew the date in which some of this had been installed. They could see when the spyware had been refreshed, as they put it. They could see that Skype had been activated to listen into my audio, that there was a keystroke monitoring program. They had accessed the CBS proprietary system called ENPS. They had installed three classified documents deep in my BIOS operating system. All kinds of things that we were able to confirm with forensics. They then tried to erase their tracks once I started to look at the activity and talk about it on my phone and communicate about it on my email on the computer. We can then see that they came and tried to delete data and files to erase their tracks, but that in of itself leaves a record. We also discovered that they changed the timestamps inside my computers thousands of times in an effort apparently to thwart the reliability of any forensic examination, to confuse things, make it where it couldn't really be figured out well. 
And of course, I ultimately put two and two together. There was a WikiLeaks document that was released that came from what some people call a shadow CIA group, a government contract called Stratfor. And this internal email dated September 10th, 2012, around the time when the spying was going on, not just of me, but of other people and journalists too. This email among Stratford executives said, quote, Brennan is behind the witch hunts of investigative journalists learning information from inside the Beltway sources. The email goes on, note, there is specific tasker from the White House to go after anyone printing materials negative to the Obama agenda. And it says, oh my, even the FBI is shocked. The Wonder Boys must be in meltdown mode. The title of this email, by the way, was Obama Leak Investigations. We later learned that the Obama administration, by all accounts, including liberal media outlets and civil rights groups, had cracked down on so-called whistleblowers or sources inside the government speaking to journalists in a way that no other administration ever had. And I think this email that was ultimately published gave some insight into what was going on with that with the White House going after people, leaking damaging information. You can find this email yourself if you search online for WikiLeaks and Stratfor, S-T-R-A-T-F-O-R, or Obama Leak Investigations. You can read the email yourself. Well, today, nine years later, we're used to hearing accusations of government spying. But in January of 2013, as I said, it sounded so far-fetched. And We soon learned that I was far from alone. I just happened to have the intel sources to expose the crime. I was told by forensics experts that if people who didn't know what they were looking for were to examine someone's computer, mine or anyone else's, that had government spyware in it, they wouldn't be able to find it. The spyware is easily disguised. Sometimes these codes are, I'm told, built into Microsoft coding so it looks like it's part of the normal process. It's not going to be flagged as a malicious program. Well, today, sources say the government was at the time and still may be illegally spying on thousands of journalists and other Americans. Again, I've been asked over time, well, why did the government target you? And of course, I was probably one of three or four journalists internationally that was doing the most reporting on some important topics that the administration probably felt was damaging to their interests. But I don't think I was the only one. I'm sure if I was targeted, as that email said from WikiLeaks, that other journalists were targeted too. They just didn't have the ability to find out forensically that this was happening to them, even if they suspected it. So after my sourcing gave me a forensics report of source that confirmed an intrusion, much to my surprise and, quite frankly, to their surprise, too. CBS News hired an independent forensics company called CyberPoint to investigate and see if they could get evidence that we could use because my source could not be revealed or could not step forward publicly. And sure enough, the company hired by CBS News was able to confirm the remote intrusions And CBS ultimately reported this fact to the world. And this is where I naively thought at the time the government would step forward, apologize, pledge to punish the government agents or contractors who were involved and the people who directed their actions, 
and importantly, find out who else had been victimized. But going on 10 years later, I'm still steeped in my self-financed search for justice and accountability because the government never did step forward. I've learned, unfortunately, that the government covers up for its own and doesn't admit its crimes. Quite the opposite. It defends the guilty, it covers up the wrongdoing, and it smears the people who it victimized. Those who could do the oversight of these government intel agencies and actors, well, they themselves are often hopelessly conflicted by politics or worse, and so the job of oversight gets left undone, even in the obvious face of so many abuses that have been documented. I do wonder if whoever set things up in government ultimately envisioned a scenario where the Department of Justice and some of the people who work there would be party to a crime, but also the entity responsible for prosecuting the crime or holding the criminals accountable when the criminals are itself. And instead of serving the public, this agency uses taxpayer money to defend the guilty and cover its tracks. Well, as part of my fight for justice in the absence of the Department of Justice doing so, two other forensics teams, beyond the ones I've described, were able to unearth even more irrefutable evidence. And that includes specific government IP addresses that were found in my computer that were part of the intrusions. And still, even with this evidence, the government continued its denials. I mean, not even explicitly. They've never said in court papers We did not use those IP addresses to get into Cheryl Axon's computers. They just try to get the case dismissed or say that certain officials have immunity. And when the government won't police itself, it doesn't really matter what you can prove, I've learned, if you can get into court. You can't get into court in front of a jury without spending a fortune and without surviving these technical hurdles one after the other that always seem to be stacked against the person challenging the government. When I invited the Department of Justice Inspector General to look into my personal computers for all of this, now CBS wouldn't let them examine the CBS computers, the main computers involved, but my personal computers had also been compromised, we learned from forensics. The Department of Justice Inspector General, the team told me that it found all kinds of suspicious behavior. We went over that and I took notes of it at the time. I had hoped that if they were honest, this group, even though they were part of the Department of Justice, would find even more forensics than my teams already had and possibly force some accountability. But midway through their probe, the Department of Justice Inspector General Investigators informed me that some unnamed official had stepped in to, quote, narrow their investigation into my computer. Suddenly, everyone was mom on the investigation, and I was told originally that, of course, since I asked for the investigation, I would get a final report about it. But instead of providing me with the promised results after this change to narrow their investigation, they withheld all the results from me. The investigators told me it was the general counsel from the Department of Justice Inspector General's office, William Blyer, who had stepped in and made it where I couldn't get the report on my own computer. And the investigators finally told me, well, If he doesn't let us release the report to you, after all, you can always file a Freedom of Information Act request. Now, mind you, the documents that the government generates is on our behalf. We own them, and they're only supposed to be very specific and extraordinary exceptions under which we can't get access to our own documents that the government's holding. 
But sure enough, I had to file a Freedom of Information Act request for my own information about the examination into my own computers because all of a sudden they're withholding this from me. And guess what? To this day, they still haven't legally, properly answered my FOIA request. They've withheld the documents and material. Interestingly, they did release a whitewashed summary, not the actual report, but a whitewashed summary to the press designed to imply there had been no illegal intrusions. And they did this on the eve of a Senate confirmation vote of Loretta Lynch. It gets a little complicated, but Senator Grassley's office had said he would not move forward with the Loretta Lynch nomination if the Obama administration didn't release this report from the DOJ IG on my computer. Well, it never did release the report. To me, it just simply gave this summary to the press. And again, it was written in a really clever way to imply that nothing had happened. And also kind of to imply they had examined all the computers when all they had looked at was my personal computers, not the main CBS computers at issue. And that interesting release to the press, somehow involving, by the way, Senator Al Franken, who was involved in trying to discredit the computer intrusion case in general, that was followed by continued organized effort by Media Matters and other interests to try to, again, smear and controversialize the case, imply it didn't happen, put out false information about it. And for whatever reason, so many in the media in a case that should be really front and center international news, not because it's me, but because of what happened to me and what is happening to other journalists. This was instead controversialized with other reporters not covering the story or not showing interest, not wanting to help in a way you would normally think they would to get accountability or finance a court fight. None of that happened with my case. So even with proof positive in the form of multiple forensics And IP addresses, I've learned how hard it is to go up against the government and its resources and its tricks. I'm sure a lot of people have learned that in the past. They just haven't had much of a forum maybe to talk about it in the public. Here's another interesting thing along the way. The FBI, when I filed a FOIA request with them about my computer case to see what they knew and hopefully turn up some information, they denied having any documents related to me or my case which I knew was false, because if nothing else, at a minimum, I had gone through FBI background checks to get what's called a White House hard pass, which gives you access to the President of the United States. There should have been at least records about that, not to mention many other things. Well, I knew the FBI wasn't telling the truth when they said they had no records mentioning me, so I sued them in court again You have to go through all of this with the government. It doesn't cost them a penny because they're spending taxpayer money. And when I sued them, they finally turned over a couple of pages about me and claimed they had nothing more, even though I was able to prove there should have been other records. And I wanted them to have to explain, well, did they destroy the records? Do they claim they never had the records? But the judge was okay with them saying this is all they had and not explaining anything. But in the few documents the FBI did turn over after I filed a lawsuit, it revealed that they had opened a case about my computer intrusions long ago, listing me as the victim. This was on June 14th, 2013. But they had never contacted me to say that they'd opened a case or to help or to interview me or to investigate. And one might ask themselves why. 
And in the document they gave me that shows that they opened a case, it was largely redacted. There's just a few words on there and then a lot of blanks. And then there was one page that didn't have as many redactions, and I'll read that short bit there. It says, this is an FBI document, on 14 June 2013, Open source reporting indicated CBS News correspondent Cheryl Atkinson's computer was accessed by an unauthorized person or group. A spokesperson for CBS News said that the company is, quote, taking steps to identify the responsible party and their method of access. For the complete article, see, and it links to an article about my computer intrusions. And then the email goes on to say under action, SciWatch, which is their cyber group at the FBI, SciWatch coordinated with CyOS, C-Y-O-S, another cyber group at the FBI, to confirm the reporting, Washington Field Office contacted CBS News. Again, there should be records of all of this, but none were provided. Washington Field Office contacted CBS News, and CBS News confirmed the compromise of Atkinson's computer. CBS Washington declined to provide additional details before discussing internally with CBS News New York, so no additional details are available currently. No attribution is available currently. SciWatch will continue tracking this matter and provide updates as appropriate. Again, there should be follow-up documents, but none were provided. And then it says, under background, open-source reporting on the incident indicates the breach was originally detected in December 2012, while Atkinson was reporting on the Benghazi attacks. And I would just add, I was reporting on a lot of different things during that time period. Of course, Benghazi was a hot-button topic. I had been doing fast and furious reporting and reporting that the Obama administration was very sensitive about on waste of tax dollars regarding green energy spending. This email from the FBI ends with a little icon that says, Victim Cheryl Atkinson. And for some reason, it redacts the name of the person who sent the memo and the person who approved it for dissemination. So let's think about this. CBS News has confirmed an unauthorized intrusion of an international investigative journalist's computers. I don't think a case like that had ever been publicly reported before. It's a pretty big deal. And the FBI opens a case listing me as the, quote, victim but never tells me, never contacts me, promises follow up an investigation, but won't turn over the documents. And to this day, I know nothing about their follow-up. In another can-you-believe-it moment, I've learned in the course of this lawsuit that government officials like former U.S. attorney in Baltimore, Rod Rosenstein, can claim immunity from lawsuits for overseeing the people who spied on me. That's how my action against Rod Rosenstein and Eric Holder got dismissed because they have immunity, unless there are some very specific circumstances that override it. In reading the law that grants them immunity, it seems to me that it wasn't intended to protect guilty federal officials from doing things or from overseeing acts like in my case. But that's how it's being used. And I'm told it's something that Congress would have to fix. It's not really something the courts can do. But who in Congress is going to do that? Who even knows this is an issue? People like me who are impacted negatively, we don't employ powerful lobbyists who write bills and put them in front of congressional party leaders for them to be passed as laws. 
More after a short break. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to fight the heavy hand of censorship and support truly independent journalism. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the store tab for a great way to do that. There are all kinds of cool products. A lot of them make great gifts that feature catchphrases like, I tested positive for critical thinking and do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the Cheryl Ackeson Ion Awards for off-narrative, accurate reporting. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the store tab. So fast forward to today and my lawsuit against the government over the computer intrusions is underway and continues and the incredible challenges continue to pour in. We've been conducting depositions for several weeks now, but did you know the accused parties, the government, they are given the right to decide whether I can even depose those involved in the alleged crimes? And I'm supposed to gather this kind of evidence before the case can go to trial, but how can I gather the evidence when the accused parties, the government, have the right to decide whether I can depose those who have the information? And I'm not just talking about they can decide whether I depose those who are accused, they can even decide whether I can get testimony from the government insiders who have relevant information about the case. The government even has the right to limit what I can ask about. That's akin to having a prosecutor have to go to a robber to ask for his permission to interview him and others who took part in the crime to prove their case. It's crazy, right? Well, despite all of these challenges, we have learned a few things in depositions with non-government parties so far. One of them has to do with the U.S. Postal Service. This agency sometimes works with intel agencies on cases and on secret surveillance and other investigations. And we know that Postal Service IP addresses that should not have been in my computer or used for this purpose were used in the computer intrusions. My forensics experts, by the way, say there were several phases of computer monitoring or computer intrusions, but at least one or some of them involved using these government IP addresses from the U.S. Postal Service to get into my computers. And the Postal Service should have preserved records that were relevant to my case over these years that I've been trying to fight in court. But we learned along the way through a deposition that the Postal Service destroyed records that should have been preserved that would give us some information. And like so many other instances, ultimately, those who destroy information still benefit. If the information that would have been revealed is damaging enough, they'd rather take the hit for having not preserved it than for letting us see what was there. And in reality, nothing will likely come from the fact that the Postal Service did not preserve the appropriate records. We also learned something really interesting that In addition to that original case about my computer intrusions that the FBI secretly opened and then kept secret even from me early on, one of the computer forensic firms that examined my computers concluded fairly quickly that a crime had likely occurred. They saw this in the forensics, and they say they notified the government and that a government official came to the company to get a briefing and then promised the computer company a follow-up. This would normally be a very important case. 
After all, again, the computers of a national news journalist have been infiltrated by unauthorized intruders. Their methods, the intruders, had hallmarks of highly sophisticated government entities. And now an independent computer forensic firm with experts there who had worked in these government intel agencies had concluded that a crime had likely occurred and notified the government. Well, what happened? The government official who'd been briefed about my case never followed up after that briefing. The computer forensics firm says it never heard from them again. And the government official or officials certainly, again, never contacted me to try to get to the bottom of the crime or to try to help. Why? When I talk about the case, even though there are some people who ask about it and who are interested, it sounds almost frivolous because it's about me and The case isn't important because it happened to me. I mean, it's important to me because it happened to me, but I know it's not important to everybody because it happened to me. But I think it's important because of all the others this has happened to. It's important because if guilty parties in the government are willing to do this and they're not exposed and held accountable, they'll keep doing it. I think we've seen that borne out in recent years. If the right people had cared and taken action when my case was first exposed, If the bad guys have been held accountable after the Edward Snowden revelations or the James Rosen spying or the secret AP record seizures, I really think there's every chance that that whole spy scandal against Donald Trump and his associates might have been averted. The FBI might not have doctored a document to wiretap Trump associate Carter Page. And the FBI and intel agencies might not have submitted countless wiretaps against U.S. citizens that the court later found violated all kinds of important rules. The NSA might not have made important constitutional violations in its spying on Americans in 2016, as a judge later found. Could all of these abuses have been avoided? Will we be able to avoid future abuses if we don't take action? Can we expect any different result? As a bit of a sidebar, With some insider intel agencies, quite literally, I think, out of control, it's chilling to think of all the things they might be doing and how they might be controlling things or pulling strings. Remember Senator Chuck Schumer warning Donald Trump that the intel agencies have six ways from Sunday of going after you? He wasn't kidding. I've chronicled a list of known abuses by our intel agencies not just against people like me, but also against members of Congress, both Democrats and Republicans. And these are only the things that we found out about. We can assume that there's probably a lot more that we'll never know about. We're only getting a slight taste of what's happening in these things that are somehow revealed to the public. Some years ago, one of my sources, a staffer in the Senate, a fairly high-ranking person, told me that the news had been given to staffers on an important Senate committee that one of our intel agencies had been looking at the phone records of certain staffers in utter violation of what should be a firm separation and possibly in violation of the law considering what is supposed to happen before our intel agencies spy on or take a look at someone's personal information or looks at their phone records, particularly members of the Senate and their staff who are ultimately in charge of oversight of these agencies. Anyway, the staffer told me that they were briefed, that their phone records had been looked at or were being looked at in order to see who might have had a phone conversation 
I believe either with a source slash whistleblower or perhaps with a journalist. And this person said they were all outraged, these Senate staffers, that that would be the case. And they were being briefed, by the way, by someone from the intelligence community. And I said, well, did anybody in the room speak up and say this can't happen and this is wrong? And he said, no, we kind of just kept our mouth shut. And I said, why? And he said, I think we were afraid if we said something, we'd look like we were the guilty ones. Think about if this sort of intimidation is happening in other places. Surely this isn't the only instance, and I just happened to find out about it. All of these years after my case was originally revealed, something that Edward Snowden predicted and foreshadowed has come true. He said something along the lines of, the worst outcome of him giving up his career and risking his life in telling so many of the secrets about the government's intelligence abuses, the worst outcome would be if nothing came of it. Ultimately, nothing really did come of Edward Snowden's revelations, at least in terms of punishment for those who've abused our information and abused their authority. And over these years, there have been so many revelations about new abuses and things that our intel agencies are doing. We've almost become numb to it. It's almost expected. Some of the things that we accept today or feel like we can't do anything about, if we've been told about this 15, 20 years ago, there would have been and should have been widespread, huge outrage. But now I hear people say things like, of course, the government's spying on citizens. What do you expect? I don't think we should lose our sense of outrage over the government's improper and illegal actions against its own citizens. Well, here's where I will note something positive. In my case, we have gained a historic victory of sorts. We have received a clerk's judgment against one of the defendants in my case, an ex-federal agent. It is believed to be the first such judgment of its kind in a case of the government spying on a journalist. You probably didn't hear much about it because no one seems to really be covering the story, and a lot of people seem to be repeating propaganda and misinformation that's being put out by those trying to protect the government agents and the intel agencies from what they've done. Even with that positive outcome, I'm not celebrating. It still requires a judge's order to make that clerk's default finding final and to move ahead to a damages trial against the ex-federal agent. And regardless of any damages awarded to me, I don't expect to see a penny of it even to help defray my legal costs because I don't think this defendant has any money that he will be able to turn over. But this was always about getting information and accountability. Unfortunately, because of the way we received the clerk's default, which was without a trial, we didn't get crucial documents and information that we could have gotten in a trial that could have revealed the names of those involved in the misdeeds. But it still could be seen, I think, as an important moment in a very long fight. And suffice it to say that thanks to some incredibly dedicated people who are committed to doing what they can to expose those responsible for the wrongs, my lawsuit against the government is still going. My primary lawyer, Tab Turner, is not only one of the sharpest lawyers in the country, but he's exceedingly brave to be taking on this case, understanding the daunting challenges. He says in all of his years practicing law, even he hasn't faced 
some of these seemingly ludicrous rules and procedures that benefit the other side, but never us. And he fights on because he says this is one of the worst wrongs he's seen committed against somebody in his decades of practicing law. And I so appreciate the Fourth Amendment and free press advocates who stepped in to assist when they heard that there were no journalism groups that were taking an interest in my case or had even inquired about what happened to me. And they started a GoFundMe under the Cheryl Axon Fourth Amendment Litigation Fund to defray some of the costs, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars so far. So that is much appreciated. But do I hold out a fantasy that even with all of this help and people who are so smart and well-meaning and well-informed behind me that I can win all of the technical battles and hurdles and the motions to dismiss? Will I be able to interview the sources who know the most? Will they tell the truth? Will they blurt out names? Will I be able to meet the bar that the court requires before I can get a case before a jury? Or will the people we talk to, if we eventually get to talk to them, say they simply have no recollection? I understand what I'm in for, but if I didn't try, and if I weren't making the bad guys at least a little bit worried that there's a slight chance of them getting exposed, then I think I'd be letting everybody down. If you're interested and want to read more about the case and some of the documents, it's actually pretty fascinating. You can look for a couple of resources at CherylAckison.com. You can search Update Atkinson Lawsuit because I am putting this podcast in a text form under Update Atkinson Lawsuit over Government Computer Intrusions. But the real deep dive for you can be found at CherylAckison.com under Special Investigations. The drop down menu under that tab has Atkinson versus DOJ and FBI for the Government Computer Intrusions, the definitive summary. And it has links to all kinds of documents along the way. But maybe more importantly, it has a really good, tight summary of what's happened so far, as well as explanations that go with some of the false narratives that the propagandists have put out about the case, such as the fake story that my whole case was based on a stuck backspace key. You can even listen to oral arguments and read the appellate decisions from an earlier version of a case related to the government computer intrusions. And you can see the actual clerk's default against one of the defendants. Again, I think probably not noted anywhere in the news, but that was entered on February 22nd of this year. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you'll share this podcast and leave a great review. And now you can support independent journalism, which has never been more important, by visiting CherylAckison.com and clicking the Store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you, with proceeds from sales benefiting various independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.